So I got a lot of in. Um, I got a lot of feedback last week um, that the sermon was encouraging, and um, so I, you know, I just I want you to know that I, I appreciate that, and keep that in mind because the next couple weeks <laughs> it's going to be a little tougher. <laughs> um, we're going to be in Second Timothy chapter two. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll be starting in verse 14. I'm going to read it for us, and I'm going to pray, and, and um, then we will begin. Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid, excuse me, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetos, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The reading of God's word, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that This would be a time of great conviction. Not that, um, my prayer is not that that the word of God just brings us to a place of despair, but instead that we are convicted by this passage to recognize our need and our calling to be students of the Word of God, to be invested in You, Lord, and in Christ Jesus with our hearts, souls, minds. God, every fiber in us would seek to look different from the world and, and would desire to look like we belong to the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, I understand that we are weak. I am weak. But Lord, that's all the more reason that we need you and we need to be coming to you and running after you. Let us not be 
prideful in our own strength and thinking we have this life all figured out when we don't. Let us recognize that truth and encouragement and conviction and and reproof and training for righteousness is found in your word. I pray for protection for this church as well as we're going to be in this passage in the next few weeks here talking about false teachers. Lord, I pray for protection for those churches who would uh, seek to be biblical, that you would protect their congregations from the wolves that come in in sheep clothing and give the leadership discernment to see and to address it accordingly. Lord, we thank you and we, we praise you, God, that we can come and, and gather together, even virtually, Lord, is a freedom that not everybody has. And so I pray, God, that we would do it with great rejoicing, longing and, uh, um, and patiently awaiting when we can all gather together again, which is, is coming soon. And I, I pray that we're excited for that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So, 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 26 we're going to be talking about, right, the, the theme has been faith on fire. So what we're going to be talking about this morning is, how does faith on fire handle false teachers, part one? This is going to be almost like a little mini-series within the series of Second Timothy, because Paul is going to be spending some time on this idea of false teachers, wolves in the church, and how do we, um, as Christians, and then especially, how does leadership deal with false teachers, and wolves within the church. And um, really, the reality is, if we do not have faith that is fanned into flame, if we do not have faith on fire, we will be woefully unprepared for the kind of things that, that creep in to churches. One of the issues that has been a plague on the church since its inception has been the influence of false teachers and wolves. And false teachers or wolves, I'll kind of just go back and forth on, on how I call them that throughout the, uh, the message, but they tend to attack in two distinct ways. And then they're flip-flop, but, but they're distinct. False teachers uh, tend to either spread the lies of false doctrine, which leads to ungodly character, or they take an approach of spreading ungodly character, which leads to false doctrine. Either way, you're, you're, you're going down uh, the, the wrong road, just uh, maybe with two different routes. But that's, that's what false teachers do. We see this in, in Paul's letters, um, most of which are there to uh, address false teachings that have, that have grown within the church. Um, and false teachers that have brought them. But the two things that are, are corrected is it's, it's either a false doctrine that led, then leads those who follow that doctrine into ungodly character or a lax character, ungodly character, that then leads people in further and further into false doctrine. Both of which are destructive to the people of the church. Um, both of which are, are just as equally enslaved by the devil to do his will. So Christians, we, we, we need to be aware of both. But the reality is the responsibility of that, 
of being aware of that lies on leadership within the church. It, it kind of falls on the shoulders of the leadership to be able um, to lead the congregation in such a way and be involved in such a way that they can see when false teachers come into the church, when wolves come into the church. And it's not that it's easy. It's not that leaders can't also be deceived for a season. It's just that when it is, when it's revealed, it's the responsibility of the leadership to take action against it. The leaders, uh, if a leader cannot discern or is unwilling to take action against a false teacher, then they really have no business being in pastoral ministry and in leadership in the church. Whether it's their uh, naivete or their passivity, it shows them to be disqualified from leading others because they're not shepherding. That's what a shepherd is called to do. Not just lead the sheep, but protect them from the wolves. So it reminds me almost if, if, a, um, if a leader is not able to discern false teaching or is unwilling to take action against false teaching, it reminds me of when Jesus talks about this idea of the blind leading the blind. And what ends up happening is everybody just falls into a pit. Or another example, since everyone liked my illustrations from last week, is when you have kids, like toddlers, and they're trying to explain something to each other, like about reality, and you just kind of listen in, and it's like the blind leading the blind. Ellie, does, Ellie's, Ellie is telling Cadge about the facts of life because of her you know, 15 months of extra wisdom that she has gained by being on, uh, alive for that much longer. And you listen in, and you're just like, you guys have no idea what you're talking about, either of you. But it's cute at that age. Um, not so cute when it becomes dangerous. Wouldn't be very cute if my daughter's ignorance led them to both run into the street. And in the church, it's always dangerous. So Christians have to be aware of this danger, lest they find themselves being disciple-makers for the devil himself. And no one is above this deception. In fact, it's usually those who think that they can't be deceived who are probably living in deception. So then the question becomes, how does faith on fire handle false teachers? How does faith on fire handle false doctrine or ungodly character that seeks to lead others astray and, and down that road? Well, we're going to be going over this for the next two weeks, and then uh, in the week after that, we'll be planting on this, this word of God as the answer, but... Um, this first week, we're going to be focusing on false doctrine that leads to ungodly character, and then next week, we'll be focusing on ungodly character that leads people into false doctrine. Um, but Paul tells us that the answer to false doctrine is actually very simple. Rightly handle the word of truth in order that we may present ourselves before God as an approved worker and unashamed. 
Okay, so if we, if we are going to be able to discern false teachers in the church and we want to certainly keep ourselves from becoming disciples of these false teachers, right, the, the, the leadership has the responsibility to point it out and, to, and to, to, to cast it out, but the Christian has the responsibility to also be discerning enough to not become a disciple of a false teacher. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if, as Paul says at the beginning of our passage, rightly handle the word of truth in order that you may present yourself before God as an approved worker and unashamed. So Paul wants the focus of the church to be on being approved by God. Being approved by God. Now, I'm not talking about um, in the sense of like meriting approval from God, right? This is, I'm, I'm not saying that the only way to, to get approval from God is this, this, and this, and if you don't follow these, these rules, you, you, know, you, you can't be saved. This is not about that. This is talking, Paul is talking specifically about those who would be saved or are saved. How are they supposed to handle themselves in such a way that they don't become led astray, and can live their life as a Christian unashamed. And he says, in order to do this, to be approved by God for how you have handled the life that he has given you, you need to rightly handle the word of truth. And interestingly enough, he's going to end on a note very similar to this at the end of our passage today in, in uh, um, the last few verses. So let's take a look at this text. He's remind them of these things. He's talking about those who Timothy is ministering to. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to, um, my version here says, to wrangle about words, to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. There is a kind of arguing that is not beneficial and only ruins the church. This does not mean that there shouldn't be discussions about things. It doesn't mean there can't be debates about things. But there is a way to do that and a way not to do that. And if you do it in the way that uh, it's not meant to be done, then it's not beneficial to the church at all. But in order to even get to a point to, to get to that point, we have to look at what Paul says here, which is the main focus. Do your best, or in my version says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do your best. Be diligent. This is your focus. This is your desire. To present yourself before God on the final day as one who is approved. You, you can stand there unashamed, specifically in the way that you have handled the Word of God. This really should kind of points to two things. One, uh, the approved workman is the one who handles the Word of Truth correctly, right? That's, that's the first one. That's, but the other one is... Um, the opposite end of that would be to understand that therefore poorly handling the word of God is shameful ignorance. I don't, we don't like that word too much, all right? 
Maybe I, actually either of them. No one likes being called ignorant, and, and certainly no one likes feeling shame. But if we do not handle the word of God correctly, then we stand before God shamefully ignorant. And we really, we, we have a problem. And that is that overall, the church in the United States, I'm not going to speak for other countries, the church in the West, you could say even, is not ashamed of their ignorance of the Word of God. The church is incredibly ignorant and yet unashamed about it. We really don't... Well, it's interesting because we live in a day and age where we have Bibles at our fingertips for free even. We have Google, we have the internet, we have programs like, like Logos, we have Amazon. I, I mean, we, we are in a position where we have more access to information about the Word of God than at any point in history. Like, at least when you look back, if you go back, you know, um, I was going to say 500, but now even more than 500, um, because we've passed the, the Reformation 500 anniversary date. But if you go back, you know, 500 plus years to 1,000 years, then people who had ignorance of the Word of God at least had the excuse of, it's not even in my language. And there's no printing press, so I have no access to it. I have to rely on somebody else, and that's, that's a sad thing. But that's not, that's not the excuse we have today. I would venture to guess that a lot of us and a lot of families across this country have at least one Bible in their homes and probably have multiple and have the internet. So the, really, what is our excuse? It's, it's interesting to me as well You know, we, we, we read this, this passage here and we, we see these things about false teachers and, and wolves. And maybe for some of us, we're thinking, I mean, like, I don't really see that. I don't really see a lot of false teachers and wolves coming in out of the church too often. I don't really hear, you know, a lot of, I don't really hear, like, publicly a lot of, you know, preachers talking about false teachers and wolves and things like that. Probably the same thing with persecution, am I right? We won't see a lot of persecution either. Well, I think it's because we really don't need it. <laughs> I mean, we, we really don't need anybody to come in and lead us astray because we don't even put the work in to begin with. We don't really need someone to come persecute us because we're not even a place to be persecuted. So, the, the, the sad reality is that we, we have not taken this 
life that God has given us as seriously as he wants us to. He has given us new life. And he has given it to us in a place where we have more freedom and more access than at any other point in history. And I'm sorry to say, brothers and sisters, we squander it. We squander it. Because it's easier to binge on Netflix than it is to read the Word of God. And the other thing that's sad too is false teaching and bad theology has already crept into the church in such a way that we don't even recognize it anymore. Scriptures, you talk to the average Christian, Scripture just continue to be taken out of context. No idea what it's actually saying in its context, but they love to throw out the, don't judge me. I don't need to go to church where two or more are gathered. It's fine. A lack of clarity on the gospel. There's a video I saw recently where um, a brother, he went to a Christian concert. This was a few years ago. And he went to this Christian concert and started going to the youth group, like high school age kids, and asked them, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? What is the gospel? So many different answers across the board. No consistency. And quite frankly, no clarity on what the gospel is. A lack of understanding of, of, of why it's important to, to have a, a service on Sunday. Why do we sing? Why do we preach? Why, why is Bible study necessary? A lack of understanding of biblical history and, and church history and thinking really it's not even important anyway. A lack of understanding of the key doctrines of the faith. You talk to 10 different people and to have them describe the Trinity to you, you'll probably get 10 different answers. How about the future bodily resurrection? Do we understand that? That was important enough that Paul says, if you reject that, you're a false teacher. You're out. You're a slave to Satan. Thinking that Scripture is just uh, about ultimately uh, making me feel good and just applying to me and I'm just going to plug myself in where I, I feel like it. Not thinking that the Bible is sufficient for the issues of today or, or doesn't really speak to our culture in general anymore because we've kind of moved on from that. How about taking our cues from things like love and kindness and gentleness from cultural definitions of those words instead of biblical definitions of those words. Now, the reason I pile it on like that isn't, like I said at the beginning, it's not to cause despair, but it's that we need to wake up and recognize false teach, it, the impact of false teaching is already here. Like we're already dealing with the fallout of years and years of false teaching that has continued to spread. And, and, and on top of that, it, it, it's not just false teaching that's heresy, 
but it, it definitely like begins there, but it, it, it grows in, in, in such a way that it becomes this false doctrine that isn't necessarily heresy, but it's ignorance. It's, it's, it's shameful because we don't understand what the Word of God is actually saying. So what we need to do with faith on fire to counter this is we need, well, like Pastor Keith said, we need to, to stop being infants in this. We, we, need to, we need to stop drinking milk and start getting onto some solid food here. We need to be meditating on the Word of God. We need to be students of Scripture Everything that Paul speaks about here depends on knowing the Word of God well. And there is a responsibility that you have as a Christian to be an unashamed workman for the Lord. That's the responsibility that you've been given, to be an unashamed workman for the Lord. And that starts with being able to rightly handle the Word of Truth. So how do we begin this then? Because maybe it's daunting, right? I don't even know like, where, where to begin. Well, start with getting up every day, read the Word of God, and meditate on the Word of God. Here, here's one way. I don't want to get TMI here, but um, read the Word of God before you take your shower, and then when you're in your shower... When most of us tend to, you know, be thinking and winning all the, the arguments we've ever had in life and stuff like that, and the shampoo bottles are clapping for us, instead, be meditating on the Word of God that you just read. One of the things that I learned from William Thrasher when he was here um, a few years ago was this idea of putting together a, a, a plan. You have to have a spiritual plan. If you are going to rightly handle the word of truth, you cannot wing it. It's not going to work to just wing it. Winging it, the way that we are with, with the church nowadays, that, that's where winging it has gotten us. Winging it's not going to work. We, we have to put together a plan. What, where are you going to start? Opening the word of God, you're not just going to flip through. You've got you to pick a book. You gotta, you gotta study that book. You, you gotta pray about it and say, Lord, don't release me from this book until I understand what it's about and, and have applied it to my life. And this studying, like I said, with, with the resources, it goes far beyond just surface level reading. Don't, don't, don't treat this book like you're just gonna pick it up and, and, and flip through it and get through it and, and then move on with your day. This is God speaking. He speaks. And I don't know about you, but when God speaks, I want to do my best to know what he says. Like, really know what he says. Not just what I think a 30-second read will, will show me, but when I dive deep into the Word... And you know what's, what's, what's crazy is the, the, 
The more you dig into the Word of God, the more gold you find. It's inexhaustible. You will find things in passages that you thought you knew, and the bigger you deep, the deeper you dig, you'll be amazed at what God reveals to you about Himself. And then when God reveals something to you about himself or the way he's worked, it changes you because you are his child. It brings you in this place of awe. This is, this is my God. This is my Father. This is, this, is, this is my Savior. This is the Spirit that lives inside of me. And this is how he's worked throughout history. This is how he's, he's spoken in, in his text. And, and the more I understand it, the, 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 really, in, in such a way, I mean, the, I feel less shame and I feel more approved because I understand God speaking to me. And I hope that as you do that, you feel more secure as well. There's a security from knowing the Word of God, a discernment that comes with it. Your eyes are open to see the world. There's a book, it's called Through New Eyes. And it's the idea that we, 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 when you are a child of God, you, you're, you have new eyes. And when you submit that to the scripture, you look at everything differently. Everything changes. So then Paul moves into, uh, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. So Paul is urging Timothy to avoid negative contributions to the fight against false teachers. It's not that Paul is telling Timothy, you know, don't get involved, just, you know, let it go. No, he's saying that don't, you need to avoid the irreverent babble. You need to avoid, avoid the um, futile conversations because in the end it will only cause more ungodliness in the false teachers. If you've ever... Um, argued with somebody, it doesn't have to be like a false teacher, but if you've ever had a discussion with somebody and you've seen the sort of obstinance where you lay out the facts and the truth and they just refuse to see it and they just dig their heels in deeper into what they believe. Flat earthers. (laughs) It gets to a point where it's not doing anybody any good. And it's better to have nothing more to do with a divisive man than to continue to engage with him. And that's what Paul tells us in Titus 3.10. Warn a divisive man twice and then have nothing more to do with him. There's a point where you're arguing is just, it's not doing anything except for leading them into more ungodliness. And then Paul also warns that when you continue this, really what you're allowing are these false views to have a presence and, and spread like gangrene. So sometimes the best response is to dust our feet off 
And when we see it in the church, when we see wolves entering into the church, and after you try to warn them about their error, their response is to cast them out. I'm not going to continue to engage you here where you can continue to put forth your false views and your lies for the sheep around to hear. Because the reality is, Paul understands that religious deception is infectious. So do not... This is going to kind of lead us into next week, so I'll be brief on this application point. But be warned that when the church recognizes wolves and disciplines the wolves or excommunicates and casts out the wolves, recognize that they are disciplined and do not be spending your time with them. Do not give an ear to false teachers that have been exposed. The church leadership has been given the responsibility to shepherd the flock from the wolves. But if you go off on your own and make friends with the wolf, it will be to your own destruction. And what they will say to you will spread like an infection and damage you and damage those around you as well.